Amen. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you sure look good in the house of the Lord tonight. Man, good to see all of you here. Great weekend. Thank the ladies for their good words. They could have, she did have a word tonight, folks. I felt like I might be out of place to try to follow that, but I am thankful for the blessings of God that are on our church right now. I don't want to take that for granted, but I want to pursue the things that are pleasing to Him and allow God to do what He's good at doing, and that's the miraculous. Amen. If you'll have your Bibles with you and turn with me for a few moments tonight, I I am only going to begin um, something with you that I do not have uh, the time to finish tonight, but I do feel like the Lord has talked to me today, and I pray that I can share that uh, voice of God that I have felt in my heart with you. I was thinking about a little boy that stood outside the grocery store one day waiting on his mother and a, a nice looking gentleman came by and said, son, can you tell me where the post office is? And he said, well, sure. He said, just go straight down this for two blocks and turn right and it'll be down on your left. And he said, well, thank you, son. He said, by the way, I'm the new pastor in town, and I'd like for you to come to church Sunday so I can tell you about Jesus and how to get to heaven. And he laughed and said, huh, how could you do that when you don't even know where the post office is? Well, I think I know where the post office is, and I still think I know what it takes to get to heaven. And so we're going to take... A little walk into the Word of God. Brother and Sister Leatherwood, so good to see you here tonight with us, neighboring pastors. Uh, we're thankful they can be with us. First Chronicles chapter 13, Old Testament scripture. First Chronicles chapter 13. I will begin reading with verse number one. For those of you that need a context, The setting of our scripture is when David had assumed the throne of the United Kingdom after Saul's reign had failed and David had been brought together under, or all of Israel had been brought under his leadership. Verse 1 reads like this, And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere, that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us, 
And let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do that. For the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Sihar of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hemoth, to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. And David went up and all Israel to Bala, that is to Kirjath-Aram, and with or which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God, the Lord, that dwelleth between the cherubim whose name is called on it. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart in the house of Abinadab and Uzzah. And Ahio drove the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with string, with singing and with harps and with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put forth or put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, wherefore that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? I want to use this tonight, and my subject is simply, Let's get it right. Would you say that with me? Let's get it right. A subtext could be doing church God's way. Doing church God's way. Clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise one more time. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I want to make a disclaimer before I get started tonight because I want you to understand that I am not here to grind an axe and I am not here to preach against something. I am not here just to, um, to, to make argument against things that I don't like or preferences that belong to me personally. I hope that you would not misinterpret anything that I would say. But I am advocating something very strongly tonight. We live under misconception 
And we live in a time of great fallacy concerning what church is supposed to be about. We live in a time where men are confused concerning what produces growth and what produces revival. And there are many ideas that are floating around and we are concerning ourselves with many things that we feel like will make our church successful. But what is success? Success is not what I call it. As far as I understand, success is what God calls it. I've lived long enough to learn that man can call it one thing and God call it another. And I'm here to tell you tonight that man is wrong and God is right. So it's not about whether... I get my way tonight. I am interested in finding out what God's way is. And I want to draw a distinction over the next few minutes between David's first attempt to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem and the second attempt in which he succeeded in bringing that ark to the city of David. There is no doubt in my mind that David had in his heart an intense love for God. There is no question when you read the Psalms that there was a passion in David for God, to know God, to fellowship with God, to walk with God, to understand God. And it is evident in the writings of the Psalms that were attributed to his name. And what we understand about David is what the scripture says about him. God saying, I have found a man after mine own heart. I have found an individual that was more interested in pleasing me than in pleasing anyone else. That is a very powerful statement that we all need to figure out how to embrace. That we too could be known as people after the heart of God. The things that please Him. The things that pass His approval. Not what I want. Not what I prefer. Not what I think is appropriate. But what does God have to say about what we are doing in this place tonight. And more importantly, what does God have to say about my personal life? David came on the scene and assumed the throne after the colossal failure of Saul. It was during the reign of Saul that the Ark of the Covenant had been captured and or or prior to his reign, the Ark of the Covenant had been captured. And it had been in the hands of the Philistines, some say as as short as 40 years. Some historians believe it was as much as 70 years having been in the hands of the Philistine. They didn't know what to do with it because when they brought it into their temple, all of their images and gods fell down and were broken before it. 
And they finally decided we need to get rid of this because we don't know how to handle it. And so they put it on an ox cart and they set those oxen in the direction of Israel and they finally found it on its way to God's people. David was hungry to restore that back into the life of Israel and the meaning of that covenant and the meaning of that ark and let it become a part of their worship again. And so it was out of a pure heart of love and reverence for God that he calls the people together and he calls them for the purpose of rallying the nation for going and bringing the ark and putting it in its rightful place. And they agreed that it was needful and they were all in unity that it need to be brought back and put in its proper place in the holy city. David set out on his journey, I believe, with great intent. Intent that was right and intentions that were good. But there were problems with his good intentions. I can find no fault in David's desire. I can find no fault in David's love for God. I can find no fault in his heart. But what I do find fault is in the way in which he went about bringing that ark back into the center and focus of God's people. David set out with good purposes, and yet David's first attempt was met with profound tragedy. You understood as I read tonight that one of the men that had been commissioned to walk beside that ark and that cart that was pulling it reached out trying to steady it from turning over and he was smitten dead by God and it stirred David. It troubled David. It was a shocking experience for them and it brought everything down to a level of understanding and and it was stirring. They were so overwhelmed by what what had happened, the Bible said that David feared God and he was afraid of God and it shook him to his very roots and the ark was left at Obed-Edom's house and it seemed that Obed-Edom was the recipient of that blessing for some four to seven years and finally David decided we have to have that ark in this city because what God is doing in one man's home God wants to do for an entire nation If we put him in his right place, if we put God where he belongs in our life, then everybody's going to be blessed, not just Obed-Edom. And so what did David learn from his first experience and this God business that he had gotten himself involved in? David learned this, that God has ways... And it behooves you and I to know his ways because his ways are the only ways that will work. Amen. 
We may come up with our own plans and we may have our own ideas of how it all ought to be worked out. But if you read his word, God will give you a clear understanding of his ways. And his ways are above our ways. And his ways are past finding out. But I need to know more than my way. I need to know the way of the Lord. What does God want me to do? And what is it that God would be pleased with in our actions and in our involvement? We would be wise to learn the ways of God. God is a jealous God. That doesn't mean that he is a green-spirited monster. It means there are some things that are off limits. There are some things that are so dear to the heart of God, he will not share them with anything else. And when you read the Bible, you will find that one of the things that God will not share with anything or anyone else is your worship. He said, you shall worship the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your spirit. He said, I am jealous over your worship toward me. I don't want it going in the wrong direction. And I don't want your worship to be to the wrong things. Amen. Amen. God is a jealous God. He's jealous over his plans and purposes. And he's jealous over his word And his command, and there are many things that lead to the question of why God did what he did. Because when you look at David's first attempt, all of the things that man would consider needed to be there were in place. David had done the right thing, it appeared. And if we measured by man's standards we would have to assume that David had all of the right ingredients for the blessings of God to be evident, and yet they were not there. The first thing that David had was he had a crowd. He had a multitude. And by the measure of our current world, the crowd is really what determines whether or not you and I are successful or not. Men measure success by the size of the crowd and by the multitude of people that gather, whether there were 10,000 or 20,000. But David learned that a crowd does not guarantee the blessings of God. The crowd does not guarantee that God is going to be in the midst of them. It takes more than a crowd to get God's attention. Amen. They have a crowd at the rodeo right now. I dare say they got a bigger crowd there than we've got here tonight. And I have no idea who's singing or who's riding. But I just know that according to some standards of our world, that is a success. And we are not. But I have news for you tonight. You need to make sure you're measuring God by God's measure and not by man's measure. Because God is not looking at what you and I are looking at. He's looking at something much deeper than that in us. (laughs) 
And so what David learned is that the size of the crowd did not guarantee God being in their midst and God being pleased with what they were doing. And I'm here to tell you tonight, I'm not indicating that a multitude isn't important to God or that he is not interested in them because the Bible said he fed a multitude. But what I am telling you is that it is of little value to gather a crowd if we are doing things that are displeasing to God and not what his heart would desire us to do. What I have discovered is that measuring by the multitude and the crowd is not a true measure of God's blessings. You want to know what the true measure of God's blessing is? It's not the multitude. It's whether or not God is in the midst of the multitude. And you can have a crowd, but if God's not there, that doesn't make it a church. That just makes it assembly. But the church that God built and the church that God wants is a church where He is at the center of attention and he is the reason that we come and worship the way we worship. David not only had a crowd going for him, but he had the next thing that's considered essential in the new church world in which we live in. And that is the pop and show that brings the blessings. David had it all. I mean, David had all of it. He had all of it in more. The Bible said in effects that he put it on top shelf. They spared no efforts. If you read that chapter again, you will understand that David called all the princes. He called all the captains. He called all the mighty men of the kingdom. He assembled a multitude of people. Oh, and by the way, tell your priest to come along with you if you want to. I am, I am, I am not in any doubt tonight that David did not understand at first what he was doing, but he soon come to understand his mistake and then they put it on a new cart you see it was never God's plan for that ark to be on anything but the shoulders of his Levites but the Philistines had done it and because the Philistine did it and succeeded we think we can do it and succeed I'm here to tell you tonight I don't care what the world says is okay I better make sure I check with this book and find out if that's what God said because God is more interested in me obeying him than he is in me doing what is popular or what is acceptable in my culture. You know what? God gave me this. I wrote it down. I'm going to give it to you. We don't need the Philistines defining church for us. Now, I'm telling you, I'm not preaching against anything. I, I, I love wanting to do better, and I want to do better. But I know that there are some places that call in all these specialists, and they come in, and they critique their church. Number one, they're not spirit-filled people. They're not Jesus-name-baptized people. And they're coming in to critique me on what I'm doing in the house of God. 
And so they come back with these ideas. Well, you got too many old folks on the platform. You look too Amish. You look too old-fashioned. You need to get a little different look up there. You need to get something that's eye-appealing. And so we buy into the philosophy that if it appeals to my eyes, it must be okay with God. But David learned very quickly that it may appeal to your eye, but it may not appeal to God's eye. And God's eye is the one that's looking at all of us tonight. Hallelujah. I'm not here promoting ugliness. And I'm not here promoting homeliness. I believe we ought to make the best presentation that we can make. But you hear me tonight. We better make sure that we're not trying to capture the eye of the world, but we're trying to get the eye of God to look on us because it is his eye that will make sure we have everything we need when we need it. David had all that. The third thing David had, please don't take me wrong. He had an awesome music. Assembly. Now, I appreciate what we did tonight. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Please don't. I'm not preaching against our music director. All right. I'm not shooting at you, Brother Clyde. But music was also a part of the celebration. And if that should have brought success, there would have been success. But music within itself does not produce success if we miss the first step in what really pleases God and what God approves. And David had missed the most basic fundamental principle of all. And because he missed it, he began to rely on the arm of flesh. He began to rely upon what man could produce. And they were not lacking in, they had the best band. They had the best players. They had the most talented singers. They had the most skillful of people that were involved. If you don't believe it, go read the previous chapter when God talks about and identifies the giftings and the skill of the men that were a part of David's company of mighty men. They had all that. All the parts were in harmony. All the pieces were in place. And they were doing it all with their might. They were doing it with every ounce of energy they had in them. And if energy alone could have produced a move of God, they would have had a breakthrough that night. But instead of having a breakthrough, they had a death because they had missed the fundamental thing that God required before anything else that you do. Amen. If that would guarantee success, then they should have had a bang-up success that day because they had the four elements or the three elements that the, that, that the world and all of the so-called growth gurus of our culture are telling us that we have to have. You gotta have a big crowd. You gotta have an exciting crowd. 
You've got to have a great program. You've got to have great music. You've got to have the best talent. You can't afford to have anybody but the best play in your instrument. You can't afford to have anything less than pomp and show. You've got to put on a dog and pony show every service. It's got to be the latest, greatest thing going on on planet Earth. And God said, I'm not opposed to that. I love beauty. Look at the world that I made. I love order. Look at the world I created. I love singing. Listen to the birds that I created. But that's not what I'm hungry for. I'm not hungry just for pop. I'm not hungry just for ceremony. I'm not hungry just for performance. I'm not hungry just for your talent. I'm hungry for somebody that will seek me first. Somebody that will seek me first. I'm, I gotta hurry. So we're gonna jump over to the next one. The first one was utter failure. Although he had all the stuff that should have been successful. According to our culture right now, according to all of the gurus that travel around telling you how to have good church, he had everything that was needed to have good church. But God showed his displeasure by slaying a man. And David was afraid. And David went home and he left the ark at Obed-Edom's house. And it was there for a long time. But I think there was some soul searching that must have gone on. Because when David began to hear the reports, the blessings of God are on Obed-Edom. I mean, he's blessed coming in. He's blessed going out. He has multiplied. I, I mean, this it, people are coming from all over to look at the blessings and, and to see the blessings of God that have been poured out. God's doing great things in Obed-Edom's house. And it finally dawned on David what I said a while ago, that what God was doing for a man and his family, God wanted to do for the whole nation. But you've got to do it right. You need to know what church is like my way. And God began to show David. What church God's way looked like. And the first thing, if you go and read over in the next chapter, chapter 15 or four, uh, chapter 15, you find where David finally goes and brings the Ark of the Covenant back. But this time, the focus was not on the crowd. The focus was not on the pomp and ceremony. The focus was not just on the music and the talent and the instruments, but the focus was on God. God. There was, you see, David evidently come to realize that his first mistake was that he had had too little of the mind of God and too much of the mind of man. And when David came back the second time, he said, I don't really care about the mind of man. I want to know about the mind of God. What pleases you, God? What do you want to happen? How do you want this handled? How do you want me to live? How do you want me to act? How do you want me to do what I'm doing? How? how, Just show me how to do it, God, because that's the way I want to do it, not the way I think it needs to be done, but the way you want it to be done. Say, Brother Hughes, how do you know that? 
Because if you go back and read the first account in chapter 13, there are in eight verses, eight personal references to we, us, me, mine, ours, and one reference to God. They had made church all about them. What makes me comfortable? What do I like to hear? What kind of music? What kind of style? What kind of lights? What kind of atmosphere? What kind of mood do we want to set? And we've learned to make church about us. And we think God is pleased with church about us. And God isn't a million miles from that. He said, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody that's more interested in my presence than others' presence. They're more interested in me than they are in what man can produce. Hallelujah. You see, listen to me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna grind an axe right now. I said I wasn't gonna do it, but I'm gonna grind it anyway. People driven measures will always yield paltry results. We go wrong when we fashion our worship After the need or the want or the wishes or the thoughts or the likes of people. And we are less concerned about what God would be happy with. We want to know more. That's not my style of music. We need you to get with it, Brother Clyde T. We need you to update your portfolio. I want you to sing this. We need these kind of light. We need this kind of mood in here. I'm sick of moods in church. What we need is a move in church. We need a move of God in the house of God. It grinds my grits, but I have to tell you, I'm not on Facebook, but I hear enough of it every once in a while. But it just irritates me to no end to hear some of these preachers. And when they talk about their church, they talk about the newest lighting system, the newest video projector, the newest program. The newest computer, the newest model this, the newest model that. And nowhere in their remarks is there anything about how many people were baptized in Jesus' name. How many people received the Holy Ghost. How many miracles has God done. What's God doing in your church right now? We've made church about us and we need to turn that around and let's make it about him. Hallelujah. 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 Now please understand me. I doesn't mean that God isn't interested in my feelings. God is interested in my feelings. God is interested in my likes. He said, if you will, if, if you will humble yourself, If you will just submit yourself to me, I'll give you the desires of your heart. So God is interested in the things that I like. But that's not the preeminent thing. The preeminent thing is, God, how can our church glorify you better? 
Now we got program. We're going to have music. We're going to have all that. That's good. Let's just make sure it's all being done for one purpose. And that is to lift the Lord of glory up and let him be seen in our midst. Not our talent. Not how cute we are. Not how many notes we can hit. Not what I can't. None of that stuff. But God, let your presence feel this. If I have to be in sackcloth and ashes, let me find you in this place, God. You know, it would have been a lot wiser if he had consulted God first and then called the multitude together. But we call the multitude and then we expect God to bless what we call together. Amen. You know, what's interesting to me is really that all that really matters is what matters to God. Because when it's all said and done... He has the last say. He has the last word on this. And I'm not knocking churches. Please don't go out of here and say, Brother Hughes, lay the hammer on them tonight. I'm not knocking at anybody. I'm just saying that we better make sure that in every effort we make and in everything that we instigate and everything that we incorporate, that God is at the very top of it, that he is at the very beginning of it, not somewhere trying to fit God. How can we have a move of God? I'll tell you how we can have a move of God. Start with prayer. Start praying first. Start praying first. This is what the Lord spoke to me today. He said, if they had prayed as diligently as they played before me, there would have been a different outcome. Woo! Hallelujah. Man, I'm telling you. I've seen some good play in church. You know, if we can't, if God's not moving, we can figure out a way to make it move. So we move ourselves. And, and we can, we learn all of the movements. And I'm not against that. Please don't, please, that, that, here's what I feel like. If you get God there, the movements will be natural. They won't have to be put on. They won't have to be show. You won't have to fake a smile. You won't have to plaster it on your lips. You won't have to go through all this hypocritical stuff that goes on sometimes under the banner of church. But you can have the real joy in your heart that not only lasts on the platform, but when you go sit down on the pew or when you go out into the foyer or you go out into the parking lot, there can be a real joy in your heart that God is good. He's the soul. Focus of my attention. He is the one desire of my heart. And I am convinced tonight, church, that if we will pray as diligently as we play, church, and please don't misunderstand me. I'm not mocking us, but you know what I mean. We learn how to pat a cake for Jesus. We learned how to go through all the motions and our minds somewhere a million miles from now. Oh, we got bitterness in our heart or we got an attitude about a family member or we got something in our crawl and we, yeah, praise God. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
We know how to play church. We know how to play it good. I mean, we know how to play the right song, the right mood, the right... And I'm not against that. I believe God gave us those talents for that purpose so that people could be moved. But what ought to move the mood is prayer. What ought to move the moves is prayer. Hallelujah. And the problem with David on his first encounter is he didn't worry about praying. All he was concerned about is us, we, it pleased us. And then he said, and oh, by the way, bring your priest along too. This church has got to understand that we are a prayer-driven church. Do you understand that? We are not a program-driven We are not a plan-driven, but we are going to be a prayer-driven church. You're going to hear me harp on it. You're going to hear me preach about it. You're going to hear me ask why you don't come to prayer meeting. Because this church has got to be a prayer-driven church if we're going to be powerful in the end time. One of the largest churches in our nation came to the stark realization a few years ago that their program had failed. And their pastor stood in an assembly of ministers from all over the globe. And this is what he admitted. Our plan failed. What was their plan? Their plan was a seeker Sensitive church. Let's take all the starch out of church. Let's take all the God out of church. And let's make it appealing to a man who doesn't know anything about God. And so they made a culture. And they called it church. And they appealed to the masses. 30,000 a weekend came to fill their auditorium. But after 25 years or so of that model, they did research on how effective they had been in doing the gospel. And you know what they discovered? Zero. They had failed miserably, completely, totally. They had not made disciples. They had not truly converted people. All they had created was an arena for people to come together and have connections and make friends and drink coffee and have a fellowship or do this. But they had never had a spiritual encounter that changed their lives. And the pastor had to stand and say, we have failed. Church, I don't ever want to have to stand and say that. I want to be able to stand and say, if you need something, God is in this place because he's the number one on our agenda before everything else, above everything else, he is the focus of our attention and our desire. Hallelujah. Stand with me. Praise God. He is the focus of our our whole agenda. Prayer driven. Prayer driven. 
prayer driven. I'm going to harp on it right now. We've been enthusiastic about a lot of things, but we need to get enthused about prayer. Amen. You shouldn't have to have me in here. Not that I don't pray. I think you know me better than that. I'm not going to step in this pulpit without prayer. And I don't mean just five or ten minutes of prayer. I mean hours of prayer. I don't take this lightly. And I'm here to tell you that I don't want any of you taking it lightly. Because we're going to stand in judgment one of these days. And God's going to want an account for what we had. He said you had the truth. You had everything. You had my blood. You had my name. You had my spirit. And all you did was entertain yourself with it. Prayer has got to become the focus again of our church. We've tried Saturday night prayer meetings. I've told you this before. I'll go to prayer on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday. I'll go during the day. I don't care. Just tell me a time when you can pray. Because that's what's got to drive what we're doing. You think that new building is what's driving me right now? No, sir. We may never make it to that new building. The coming of the Lord could come a long time before that. God could call all of us out of this world before that happens. I'm not waiting till then to think that that'll get them. That'll draw them. Oh, that's an eye catcher. You know what I want to be the eye catcher? That when people drive down 528, something moves into the car with them. Something touches their spirit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What was that? What did I just drive by? What is that over there? I didn't even recognize what that was. Let's go find out what's going on in that house. That's what I want driving this church. Is the power of God that can reach beyond these walls. And touch that apartment complex. And touch our community. And it's not going to happen because we have a great program. It's going to happen because we've got the power of prayer behind us. Hallelujah. I believe God is calling our church to a deeper commitment in prayer. Intercession. You see, we think enthusiasm is what makes the day and is equal to God's blessings. But it's not. Intercession is what makes the day. It's people that lay between the porch and the altar. And they weep. It's those who travail in Zion. And when they travail, Sister Shannon, what you said comes true. We give birth. Amen. I don't want to give birth to something that is illegitimate to the Spirit of God. And I am well aware we got a great program. I'm not knocking it. Please. We have the best music director anywhere in the United States and the world that I know of. And I'm, I'm bragging on him tonight. You know why? Because I know that man is a man of prayer 
every day, every morning, devotion with His family. The reason our worship services are so powerful isn't because we have the greatest talent, but it's because somebody has a burden and a passion that said, before we do man's thing, let's do God's thing. Let's find out what God wants for us. And that's what has to happen to you and I. That has to become a passion. What is God interested in tonight? What is God after tonight? What does God want after me? And what is He seeking in my life? And that's what I give to Him. That's what I want to be focused on in this place. And that prayer will drive everything we do. That everything we do is governed. It is governed. It is governed by a spirit of prayer. When David began to pray... God began to show him how to do it. Here's how to have church my way. Amen. Here's how to have church my way. And I believe that when we pray, God's going to help us understand more and more. This is the kind of church I'm interested in. This is the kind of church that will produce revival that will last. It will produce converts that will stand through eternity. Not just some emotional upheaval, but something deep within the spirit that stirs the heart. It's too much after the will of flesh and not enough after the will of God. And God said, I will not bless that. I will not bless that. I will not bless anybody that takes my glory. And when you bring those praises to yourself or I bring them to myself. I am stealing God's glory when I think that I can get up here and perform and because I have a great voice or I have great timing or I have this or that that God's going to bless me. I am totally wrong. God's going to bless me because somewhere on my face I said, God, I'm nothing without you. I need your anointing on my life. I need your blessing in my heart. I need your spirit inside of me. Hallelujah. Oh God. You see our worship fails if prayer is not our first consideration. Our plans fail if prayer is not our first consideration. Our energy is lost, wasted, if prayer is not our first purpose. Because prayer is what really energizes my energy. It's really what gives me the anointing that breaks the yoke. The anointing that destroys the yoke. It is that prayer that summons the power of heaven to my aid and God begins to work and act in my behalf not because of what I can do but because of who he is and when we pray something's going to happen and when they prayed the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues And when Paul and Silas began to pray and sing praises, the jail began to shake. The foundations began to shake because God is involved in that kind of church. Hallelujah. 
I got it. Hallelujah. I don't know what you think about me tonight. I hope you'll give me the benefit of the doubt that I'm not punching at anything, but I am desperate for one thing. I want to know church God's way. I want to do church God's way. And it's going to involve my talent. It's going to involve my gifts. And it's going to involve my plans. And it's going to involve our intelligence and our skills. But those will be secondary. God, what do you want? What do you say? What pleases you? What causes you to want to come in? What causes you to want to come in? He said the law, he, he said this, he said the Father seeks true worshipers. He was saying that to a woman who had just bragged that we worship in this mountain. All of our gods are worshiped in this mountain. Jesus said, oh dear lady, let me tell you about what the Father wants. What the Father of Fathers wants. What the God of Gods wants. He wants true worshipers. Those that worship Him in spirit and in truth. You see, just having the energy isn't enough. Just having all the movements isn't enough. Just having the Face and the appearance isn't enough. I've got to be connected to what's true. Amen. God said, if you want to know what kind of church pleases me, David, start by talking to me about my church. <laughs> and I'll tell you what pleases me. Hallelujah. First on the list is my people. My people. If they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will forgive and I will heal. Amen. The catalyst that begins the healing. The catalyst that ignites the restoration is the fact that somebody began to call on God. So, oh God, what do you want? What would please you tonight? How can I glorify you in my life? How can I let you shine more brightly through me? How can I live so that people see you and not me? How can I live and what can I say and what can I do, Lord, that when people see the effects of what I do, they look to you. They see your good works, but they don't brag on you. They glorify your Father, which is in heaven. That's what kind of church God's interested in. Amen. Do all the good you can do. Please don't misunderstand me. Please don't get up here and sing out of harmony. Please, musicians, play play by your notes. But before you start playing your notes, 
Find a place to get on your knees and say, God, I don't even know how to walk without you holding my hand. I don't even know how to talk without you helping me. I don't know how to play. Let me play as under the Lord tonight. Let me sing as under the Lord. Let me work as under the Lord. Let me greet as under the Lord. Let me worship as under God. Church, we've got to get it right. We're running out of time. We don't have time to play church. We don't have time to experiment. And to be honest with you, my mind's tired of reading all the stuff that people tell you you got to do to have great church. I've been, been hungry for what would be a great church. And God said, I'll tell you, start with prayer. Let that be the driving force behind everything that you do. Prayer. Seek me first. Talk to me first before you talk to the crowd, before you call the multitude, before you assemble all your elders, before you call your captains of thousands and hundreds, and before you bring together your great mighty men. Talk to me, David. Talk to me. And if you'll talk to me, I'll bless the gathering of your men. And I'll be in the midst of that place. And when he came back into Jerusalem that second time, He had done the right thing because God sanctified that coming with blessings. There was great joy. There was gladness. They were dancing and rejoicing. You know what I love about the Bible said, Dave, I wish I I could do it tonight and I've already done too much moving. But the Bible said, David danced before the Lord with all of his might. He just, he cut a rug as they say. He, he just, he blistered the eyes. But what really got me is the Bible says that he was girded with a linen ephod. A linen ephod was the most common garment of the common man. Burlap. Basic. Fundamental. Bottom of the line. Walmart. Goodwill. Hand me down. He took his king's robe off. He took the beautiful garments that they had blessed him with that, that recognized him for his place in their life. He took that off. And he put on that linen ephod. I've often wondered, David, why did you do that? And the Lord spoke to me one day and said, because he didn't want anybody to be confused about who was most important in that meeting. He wanted them to know that I was more important even than him. That I am more important than the the, the smartest, the wisest, the best, the most brilliant. I am above all of that. And if you can learn to put your linen ephod on, I'll give you something to dance about. I'll give you something to rejoice over. I'll give you something to shout about. Hallelujah. Come on, we need to strip off some pride tonight. We're too proud. We need to get off the proud garment and put on the garment of praise and say, God, your glory is more important than anything in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.